How's it going, guys? I'm Zeke. And I'm Jay. And you're listening to the Cinema Sideshow Podcast, episode 97. It's a special episode, Zeke. We How were, so? We were both born in 1997. That is true. We were both born in 1997, and yeah. this is our 99, 97 episode. Oh, you already bleep blooped it. I bleep blooped it. <laughs> um, so we're recording this one in the morning, and I'm not going to lie, I woke up to pretty much Jake always being at my door ready to record today. So I'm a bit waking up. Well, I saw it said on Facebook you hadn't been online in 10 hours and it was already 10 o'clock, which we were gonna, that's when we we're going to meet. But I was like, I'll just I'll just wait because I was taking my time to grab all my mic stuff. Mm-hmm. So um, you're more than okay, Zeke. I forgive you. Yeah, no worries. <laughs> well, Jake, speaking of 97, are you ready to try and guess the film from 1997? Sure. I don't feel confident about this one. Yeah, well, there's a it lot. Could, of it films. could be Con Air for all I know. <laughs> let's go. Let's let's do a quote. See if I can get this. Most days, I wish I'd never met you, because then I could sleep at night. I didn't have to walk around with the knowledge that there was someone like you out there. I didn't have to watch you throw that all away. Ooh, that was very Marriage Story y at one point. Every day I wake up and I wish you were this dead. This <laughs> line was not delivered like that. By Adam that. Driver? Oh, by like um, that? Okay. Can delivered. you say the quote one more time, please? Of course. Most days, I wish I'd never met you, because then I could sleep at night. I didn't have to walk around with the knowledge that there was someone like you out there. I didn't have to watch you throw it all away. Damn. I... Oh. I'm just struggling to think of any films that came out in 97 other than Connor. <laughs> Which is a shame because the year we were born wasn't. I think Apollo Eleven came out. I mean, that's not Apollo Eleven. I don't mm. think. I'm just gonna. I'm gonna forfeit on this one. I have no clue at all. I'm gonna punch myself. Well, Jake, it's not your fault. Oh. It's not your fault. Oh, you, you cheeky. Oh God, Goodwill Hunting. Goodwill Hunting. Which I, I only saw for the first time a couple years ago. Mm. I guess that's actually was, pretty good at this point. With was your night? I know that line was delivered by Ben Affleck to Matt Damon's character. Interesting, because you see, usually when you quote that film, it's like a Robin Williams quote or something, yeah. like it's not your fault, exactly. But it's a little too obvious. Ah, oh, that's good. Thank you. Thank Very you. nice. All right, I'll take my loss there. No worries. Good, well, great film. Great film. It's been a, a hectic week. This has been um, so. Unfortunately for me, I've only managed to catch one other film other than the film of the week. Which okay. was actually a documentary. I don't uh, even know what this is. Yeah, uh, it was Life on This Earth, the David, new David Attenborough documentary. Oh, I've heard about this. Um, which cool. is sort of a introspective uh, review of you know David. So David Attenborough is ninety three years old, mm. and it's sort of showing how it's kind of to an extent um, you know autobiographical um, because he talks about his sort of his upbringing in sort of the nature documentarian sort of sense and then talks about, and then it transforms into the state of the world and Mm. where the earth and nature is going and um, sort of becomes a campaign for, you know, like acknowledging climate change and over-consumerism. Sounds a bit like a weird hybrid between him, him as a person, autobiography versus like this message they're trying to deliver is that yeah. right okay. yeah 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 and he definitely carries that sort of thing it's a really interesting documentary it's a different format for him like slightly variation 
variative to obviously the nature just a typical nature documentary and mm. that planet earth and all that yeah of course jazz and um i really enjoyed it yeah. very nice yeah. have to check. so how do, is Ooh. that because i think that was in cinemas not long ago mm. netflix it's on netflix it's a netflix original perfect so um, oh maybe that explains okay that makes sense what cool. about you bud um yeah well I've, I've seen a couple of things you know what i was actually going to start with a different film but i'll actually do this instead because this is a better segue to what you were just talking about. I also watched a documentary that has to do with nature in mm. one way or another. Um, so I mentioned the other week that I got Doc Play in order to watch the um, Totally Under Control coronavirus documentary. And mm. I've actually held on to that subscription because I saw the I Am Greta, uh, the Greta Thunberg doco was on uh, on the service. And I was like, oh, yeah. well, that was awesome. It was a couple of weeks ago and I missed it then. I'm, I'm, I'm curious to watch it. So I managed to watch it, and I was shocked at how much I liked it. Yeah, right. I thought it was very good. <laughs> now, here's, here's the thing. Because I don't really have any strong opinions on Feta, uh, Greta Thunberg one way or another. Mm-hmm. So she's obviously young. I think at the time, 15-year-old activist you know, about the environment. She's famous for the UN speech where she sort of mm-hmm. casts blame on everyone and, and goes off at everyone. And what I thought was so clever about this doco is this actually... And someone... I'm actually quoting someone on Letterboxd, but it is the perfect way to describe it. This feels like the prequel to that speech, mm-hmm. where that speech doesn't happen until the last five minutes of the film. Okay. And all the anger that she has in her voice when she delivers that speech and everything that is going on in her head is... It's explained, in a way. You watch this doc and you're like, I understand where this is coming from. I feel, I understand a lot of people watching and being like, oh, why is this 15-year-old girl yelling at me about the environment like what did i do but you you watch this docker you go through the journey and it feels like it was filmed before there was any sort of intent of her becoming famous Mm. you know it sort of starts with the very first sort of strike that she goes on when she skips school to you know hold a sign outside a building and and then it just shows like this linear progression of of her fame and the message being spread and um i thought that was all really well done it just felt very raw Mm -hmm. in a way where it just felt like the camera crew and like almost like a melancholic road trip at times of her and her dad trying to support her and and there's a lot of you know people online being like ah oh, you know it's her dad using her as like a puppet and this docker really goes a long way of showing like I don't think that's the case mm. you know it feels like he he's the guy that so basically a lot of the docker focuses on her autism and and sort of the loneliness she feels with that and not talking to a lot of people and what I loved is that it showed the dad looking out for her ahead of her own needs in terms of the activism she's gone through. Mm-hmm. So she might, you know, be going to do this speech or she's at this event and maybe she's getting frustrated or whatever. And he's the guy being like, you have to eat. You know, she will, she'll go a day without eating. She's like, you have to eat. And I liked that it showed all of those sort of aspects of that. But even just the responses of a lot of people want her to be at the speeches to give a speech. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't matter about the message because people forget about it two seconds later. They want her to speak because she's her. Yeah. And the fact that she can talk to like Arnold Schwarzenegger and he just sort of nods and then repeats the last sentence she said and pretends to have listened. Just stuff like that. I thought it was a good way to show that there's more to it than just the, the yelling and the, you know, yeah. we need to save the planet. I don't know. I just, I was just really impressed. Like there was just a lot at play and I thought it was very clever i'm <clears throat> i'm forgetting the the director's name i'm just going to quickly look it up it was actually 
a first-time film. It's his only Letterboxd credit. Wow. Uh, is this documentary feature, and I thought he did a amazing job. So I just want to give him a quick shout-out. It was directed by Nathan Grossman. There you go. I got the name up. Not a bad start. But, yeah. Um, I watched one other film this week, and I think people are very excited about this one. I watched Mank. Yeah. yeah. That's a, that's a, that just came out in Luna. Yeah, so Luna's playing it now. It'll be on Netflix in a couple of weeks. Uh, we may or may not be talking about it in a deeper way at some point, Zeke, but uh, I'll get my first initial impressions out there. So for those who don't know, this is David Finch's latest feature. He hasn't done a, a feature film since Gone Girl uh, six years ago. And this is based on his dad's uh, script. So Jack Fincher, who died in the 90s, but he wrote this script about um, Herman Mankiewicz, the writer or the, the supposed co-writer of um, Citizen Kane. And I, I feel like there's going to be a bit of controversy because this script is based on an article that has since been debunked. Mm-hmm. So in terms of how truthful this is, there's a bit of like, oh, I don't know how much is true here. It's essentially showing that Mankiewicz did all, pretty much all of the work in terms of writing the film over um, Orson Welles. But, you know, regardless of any of that, I don't want to get into that politics because it's like, you can argue about that at the end of the day. Like, oh, is this legitimate or not? It's it's him doing his dad's script. So let's judge it from that mm-hmm. point. I thought stylistically, it's really excellent. The fact that it, it's trying to feel like an authentic film from the 40s you can pull out of the vault, you know, shot in black and white. It has sort of those little film reel uh, flickers. Is it shot digitally still? Uh, I, you know what, I forgot to check. I would like to think it was shot on film, but it might not have been. Okay. So I can't confirm. Uh, but the, it's definitely gives that look. Uh, it, it felt like a bit of a shout out to a uh, to Fight Club a little bit with like the Q marks and the way that Brad Pitt talked about him in that film. So it feels like Finch is sort of going back and forth with that. But even just like taking the bass out of the sound, it sounds like an old film, like an old talkie, which, mm-hmm. again, like stylistically, I thought it was really excellent, and I thought it plays off Citizen Kane's narrative structure by going back and forth, and like, here's the present, here's the past, here's a, this explains this, which mm-hmm. is why I made the joke that the film is basically Slumdog Millionaire Screenwriters Edition, because that's what it feels like at times. Um, but that being said, in terms of the plot and the actual the, the script, uh, it's really not about Citizen Kane like whatsoever. It felt more about uh, Mankiewicz sort of being this, uh, you know, alcoholic, struggling writer who is disassociated or... What's the one I'm trying to find? But he, he does not fit in with the Hollywood crowd so mm. much. And you sort of see that through flashbacks and how the film works in that regard. Um, I, I just... I don't know. I thought that the narrative was fine. Mm-hmm. It didn't really grip me. I wasn't thinking about it all that much afterwards. So, I walked away mostly positive, but fairly mixed. Again, I think I think Finch's uh, and I'm talking about David Finch's like direction and the and the the style that it's going for. I think it really does a great job at at what it aims to be mm-hmm. in terms of its representation of older films. But um, I don't know. I, I thought the story itself was ironically a bit weak, considering what it's based on. Of course, yeah, interesting, interesting. Well. I'm sure we'll might be addressing that in a couple of weeks, mm, um, perhaps. Yeah, potentially. Um, but yeah, I'm excited to eventually go see it and have a full blown discussion about it. It's gonna be a good one, Zeke. Yeah. Did you catch anything so, else this week? Uh, that's pretty much it for me, other than the the film of the week, of course. So mm. I mean, I'm happy to jump 
right into career updates. Yeah, well, uh, as of this morning, <laughs> ten hours ago, according to Facebook, ago, <laughs> um, we I have wrapped all three of the films that I have worked on in this Yee! last week. Um, Very nice. And as of this morning, found out that the so I became editor on two of them. Mm. So I've talked about all three of them: the brain aneurysm survivors documentary, the cascade short film and puncture short film which was three consecutive uh the month starting in september all the way through october every weekend we had a film shoot on it um and i ended up being dop on the one that i wasn't editing and then editor on the other two so as of last night we've officially finished all three so very nice so um, they're all all the cuts are done all the cuts are done so uh we'll see how that uh how what our next step is from that point onwards we Mm. have a a showcase happening later this week that both you and i are going to yep um so we'll see if any of them make it to the main stage but um yeah we're really happy with how they ended up so it's been an odyssey but we got there (laughs) yeah odyssey sounds about the right word in a lot of ways well if if uh, you're interested in seeing those very soon you may be able to see at least, hopefully at least one or two of them uh, at the showcase this Friday at Murdoch. Uh, I think the information's all on Facebook about that. The showcase Futurism. Futurism. There you go. That's the name of it. Um, we don't know what the uh, the actual... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I guess the catalogue. We don't know what the catalogue no. is. It's not locked in yet. So no. we can't promise you could see all three of those, but hopefully you see at least one or two. If not, and, uh, um, they might. You might see them maybe pop up in a, a festival here or there in the future, maybe. Yeah, fingers or, crossed. Yeah. Well, you'll have more information, hopefully, in the coming weeks. Absolutely. Um, I've, I'm actually back on the work from home set. We did day eight last night. So this is this is its own sort of uh, odyssey in, in a way. <laughs> yeah. So I did, obviously, I did those five days right before we recorded our Hurt Locker episode. Mm-hmm. I think that's when that, that was happening. And then uh, I didn't do day six or seven because I think the, the place we were shooting, I had like a, a more stricter COVID safety guideline. So mm-hmm. I wasn't necessary crew for that. So I wasn't there. But now uh, days eight through 10. So yesterday, tonight and tomorrow, I uh, got some more shoots and then uh, more shoots for the next couple of weekends. But uh, it's going along. It's going along really nicely. And uh, I'll be cooking up a, a beautiful collection of photos and behind the scenes video for you to watch so very yeah. exciting stuff it's exciting yeah yeah well i guess it's time for us to move into our film of the week but jake what are we watching oh, a little pause there i like it this week of the show we're watching ammonite i want her to walk the shoreline with you learn from you i'm not looking for an apprentice i would pay a premium for a private audience it's not easy work What is it? Cheap tourist fodder. Beautiful. It pleases me you've struck up a friendship together. What is it? Something? Nothing? Claimed paleontologist Mary Anning works alone selling common fossils to tourists to support her ailing mother. 
But a chance job offer changes her life when a visitor hires her to care for his wife and the women forge a bond. This film was directed by and written by Francis Lee, who, as we discovered, is not... Is a, it's a dude. <laughs> to a... be fair, I knew it was a dude. Oh, really? Yeah, because we're, we're walking down Luna, and I'm, I, I said something, we were talking about the film, and I said something... Um, like, oh, this scene, you could tell it was directed by a guy. And then you and Sarah are like, nah, it's a woman, it's a woman, Jake. And then two seconds later, I was like, well, i got to pull out my phone and <laughs> bust my chops on you. <laughs> Fair play. So, uh, boom, chucka, chucka, lucka. <laughs> Sorry, that's my fist bouncing. So, yeah, we caught this film <laughs> Saturday m- morning-ish, midday. Ah, afternoon. Afternoon. 12.45. Saturday, after- Saturday afternoon. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah. It was part of the British Film Festival. Yes, that's a good that's a good catch. The British Film Festival is happening at Luna right now. I think I could be wrong. I was talking to someone yesterday about it and they said they're gonna watch a screening of this on Wednesday. So my guess is there's still gonna be a session on Wednesday of this film in particular. Yeah, I mean this one was in Cinema One, which if anyone knows about the Luna Leaderville was the biggest of the cinemas they've got there. The biggest one. And uh They're so- probably playing all of their British film festival stuff in that cinema one yeah okay fair. probably I, I don't know um so honestly hot take jake straight off the bat what did you think of it um i liked it enough i think i, I sat on a free star review on on letterbox and i think in all honesty i think that seems like the general consensus is just disappointment that it wasn't like brilliant which is fine it doesn't mm. have to be brilliant i think it's just a shame, and uh, like I said, everyone's saying this. Literally, everyone's saying this. But it's a shame when something like Portrait of a Lady on Fire comes out a year prior. Yes, our episode and... seventy-seven, if I recall. Uh yeah, it's around. I couldn't tell you. It's in the seventies, I'm pretty late seventies. Sure yeah, somewhere. Um, it's we, a shame because this. We film... talked about yeah your favorite film from last year, which was Portrait of a Lady on Fire, which mm. follows. A similar period LGBTQ film mm. um, is probably the best way to categorize these if we were to put them in a pigeonhole. Yeah, well, they're very um, they're very similar stories and yeah. themes. Maybe not themes so much, but it's in nearly impossible to not compare them. Even just the iconography of you know the two women on the beach and I would it, say the themes are pretty close. Definitely, characterization is at least trying to uh, you know. Mm. They're they're all I like the thing is they're so astronomically close in everything other than you know one's a an English speaking film and one's a French film, mm. um, and both try and tackle the same sort of feminist readings I think, um, yeah. and one of them does it astronomically better than the other I think. Um, not to say that like I'm with you I do not think this film is bad. Mm. Um, but to have two films in the space of literally like a year, like you watched Portrait New Year's Eve 2019. Yeah. So both of us within the last year. Yeah. Sure. Um, to have them so, yeah, so close together, you know, I was sitting there for a lot of it and going like, well, it just feels like this almost feels like a reactionary response. I know it probably wasn't. They were probably just developed around very similar time frames. My, I, this was just a YouTube comment. I didn't confirm this, but my understanding is that Portrait premiered 
um, I can't remember if it was at TIFF or wherever it premiered. It premiered when they just started shooting Ammonite. Okay. So there definitely wasn't any intention of copying or just anything. An unlucky resonance effect, yeah. maybe. Um... Exactly. And you, and it's a good point you raised. This is probably a more accessible film. It's in English. You know, they're, they're cast that you frankly would know way yeah. better than the cast of Portrait. I mean, you look at the cast alone that was enough to be like, well, this has got Oscar buzzer in on it. You know, you've got mm. Saoirse Ronan, who for the last, well, the last five to six years has been just circling that, you know, lead actress Oscar, mm. like, and, you know, between Lady Bird, Little Women, and, you know, and then you've got Kate Winslet, who is this very, very much established sort of, of anything. The one thing that, one of the biggest takes I took away straight away was, Oh, Kate Win uh Saoirse Ronan just playing what Kate Winslet would have played twenty years ago, you know. <laughs> That's Re- a really good point. <laughs> and um so now Kate Winslet's just on the other end of that, that spectrum and mm. this film very much she is the lead, Winslet. Which Oh of course. Um yeah. kind of surprised me because I thought it was a bit more it was a bit more uh, duality in it. But it's not a I wouldn't call it it's not a co lead for sure. It's definitely Winslet's film. Um, yeah. Well, it's it's something I should bring up because I actually found this out after the fact. I don't even know if you know this at all. But this is in a kind... This is kind of a biopic because Mary Anning is a real person, a real paleontologist, who in real life also had her work unrecognized for many, many years. Mm-hmm. So that is based on a real person and I think there's some controversy with the supposed descendants of her with associating her with this LGBT story and her being in this sort of lesbian relationship, uh, which was, un- I don't think people know her sexuality. So it was a bit of well, twisting. A lot of that is speculatory yes. in history because there's no, well, there's no publication of truth in, in that situation. It's like when people say Leo DiCaprio, uh, Leo Da Vinci was, and Leo Da Vinci was, was gay. And that's like, right. Yeah. It's very speculatory stuff, you know. Yeah, it's the sort of things you can make assumptions of. There's not a lot of first primary sources. Well, there's not a kind of there's not a journal entry going. I had sex with a man last night. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, it, it's definitely worth pointing out that that is sort of the biopic angle of this, but it definitely feels like the actual story weaved around it is fictionalized, or the, or the plot rather, mm. um, in favor of being like, well, okay, well, this is representative of what she felt but maybe this specific story didn't happen it's actually kind of similar to Shirley in a way yeah where it sort of plays with real historical people and the, and the plots and the surrealism elements of mm-hmm. that as well not that this is a surrealistic film at all but I thought that part was interesting I think that speaks to why Kate Winslet is like the clear protagonist in this film is that that's the story they were trying to tell was her story yeah, and obviously, unfortunately, this conversation is going to have a lot of, I think, drawbacks to portrait and co- comparing mm. and contrasting. But like you said, that has been pretty much a general consensus and critical consensus of this film. It, it, we can talk about, I mean, things such as performances and stuff, because one of the strongest elements of this film is probably its performances. Um Mm. particularly I think Winslet's really great in it she's uh, great and um, I, look they're, they're, they're not bad performances and I, I think you're right I think Kate Winslet is really great in this yeah I mean it's just a shame because I think a lot of people were looking at Saoirse Ronan for this one 
especially because it's actually quite funny because if she gets nominated for this and a lot of people Oscar buzz for her is this will be her fifth Oscar nomination which will make her the youngest person to get five nominations ironically beating out Kate Winslet so that's a bit of an ironic sort of crazy. comparison there but I think with all eyes on her I was quite disappointed not to say her performance was bad, but she had so little to do in this film. Yeah, and I, I would have to agree. It definitely doesn't feel like, you know, this time last year we were gearing up to watch Little Women and watching that film, she's, you know, she's the lead in that. Mm. She's excellent from start to finish in it. She's, you know, although there are multiple, you know, all four of them have their moments of, of strength, it always does come back to Sir Ronan in that film, I think. Yeah, she's she's definitely the pioneer of that, and I think, oh, Florence Pugh got nominated, but you know, you're right, she's definitely the the yeah. anchor to that that um, whole cast. And so yeah, I think that you know, when you see this film on paper, it, it sort of kind of equates to what you would assume is a, a at least a nomination, let mm. alone a, a win. And um, unfortunately, yeah, she's quite reserved in this film, and she actually it doesn't feel like a step backwards, but it doesn't feel like a step forwards. It definitely feels like a sidestep right well it it just doesn't feel like it was her fault and no. i you know i think about the story that they're, they're telling and she kind of does through this character go through this character arc because she does start the film very quiet and and quite literally depressed mm. and i guess we'll get into why in a moment story-wise but she does go for this arc where she becomes more bubbly i guess by the end and more determined in what she wants out of kate winslet's character but it just, you're right, it's so reserved and it feels like there was no moment for her to really shine. Like, we know she can. No, know? Winslet definitely gets multiple opportunities to mm. kind of shine. And um, obviously, we're going to really address, kind of reinforce this when we address sort of the story side and kind of what I think this film does suffer with. It does suffer with some serious pacing issues. Um, okay. Uh, I think. Um, and particularly just kind of character uh, obstacles that both these these actors would have faced in order to try and convey the same level of you know romantic chemistry that portrait had but fell significantly shorter on it that right kind of you know the ends didn't justify the means sort of situation i'll just quickly make a comment about the pacing because i think i've realized something watching this film yeah is because I didn't think I was okay with the pacing. I think towards the end, I was like kind of hoping, like, okay, I want to get to the end. But what I realized that was because I go to the movies a lot just by myself lately, is I want the movie to end so that we can start talking about it. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that's a fair, for me at least, I don't know if that's fair, fairly indicative of the pacing of the film, is especially when I'm like going on with the story and it is slow, but it's building. It feels like it's building. And then towards the end, I'm like, oh, I want to wrap this up so I can talk to, you know, you guys about what I feel. Um, I thought the pacing was okay with that in mind. But it is slow, but not like... It's I think not it was that a it's drag. slow. It, it's that it kind of... It goes from slow... It goes from zero to a hundred. And it, this kind of pumps oh, back okay. to story problems. Um, that... Uh, unfortunately, a lot of this conversation, like I said, is going to come back to Portrait because it's a really good comparison piece for it. Mm. Um, I think uh, if we talk about the stories, obviously, yeah. um, 
Winslet is this uh, paleontologist. She's um, in this uh, kind of dead end sea town called Lyme. Hmm. Um, uh, Which is kind of juxtaposed that she is sort of renowned and not even just in the husband's the way he talks to her, mm. but the opening scene is literally them very carefully placing one of her works on the in the stand, and replacing the uh, the card. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which I actually really liked that. I thought it was really clever. They mm. they have some really good visual storytelling in this film. It's definitely one of its strengths. Um, it's probably one of yeah, it's more prominent strengths, but. Um, yeah, obviously this husband character comes to visit, uh, her and, and basically wants to work with, with her and Sir Sharonan's character doesn't speak, I think for the first 20 minutes of the film. No, she, she comes in, she's of... all in black. She doesn't say a word. And even in yeah. her, uh, the, the follow-up scenes, I don't think she speaks until good, a good amount of time in. She's... It's not really until she's nursed back to health. Yeah. Which could very well be the halfway point of the film, or it's definitely well past the first act. Yeah, it's pretty it's pretty in there at that point. Like mm. the husband's already the husband character has come and had a day with Anning and then he's gone off on his adventure and he's left his, his wife there and this is kind of part of the problem because already there's there's this uh uh, character, this male construct character is he's very controlling and very dictatorial when um, no one else is around towards Sir Sharonan's character, but then immediately follows up five minutes later with a speech about how he wants to see her happy again and 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 that have that bubbly happiness and it kind of comes from a, what at least feels like a place of endearment, but yet is very neglectful of her in her time of grief and very uh lacks any form of empathy towards her so well i feel like that's a product of its time in terms of the time period this takes place because i feel like it it was obviously way more common for people to lose um yeah was it like a miscarriage was that Uh, i was implied yeah 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 they didn't actually get too specific about it but she loses a child essentially and winslet's mum had 10 kids and lost eight of them something like that yeah six yeah. eight whatever the number yeah. was but uh, i mean that all just sort of ties in later but i think to do with um the the, the husband's name is roderick played by james mcadle and i it's tricky because you're right it, it feels on the nose especially in comparison to portrait where i, I think the genius of portrait is its lack of male representation in that film the fact that it abolishes that almost entirely is mm. what makes that film genius but in this case, you you kind of again, there's a lot of things you need for the story to work that just feel a little too on the nose. Mm-hmm. And we'll get into that in terms of how the relationship between um, Charlotte and uh, Mary build. But with the husband in particular, it it felt yeah. I was I wasn't like bothered by it. It didn't bother me. I was like, ah, oh, it's too on the nose. It's it just it felt natural enough where. He didn't. He just didn't understand the grieving process, mm-hmm. or uh, even the way he describes depression. He's like, "Oh, it's like a melancholic, you know, episode, or, or however he describes it." And I thought that was interestingly juxtaposed with the fact that it it it's definitely not a gender thing because he really respects Mary. He's like on his knees, begging, "Oh, give me a job. I really respect you, 
But then that's mm. juxtaposed with him treating his wife, you know, very similar to how Shirley's treated in some of the scenes in that film. Yeah, okay, well, that's fair enough. Um, I just think his characters, I think it comes back to how necessary is his character, maybe, but... right. This is always going to come back to like part of me goes like well like we like we established in portrait that there are only five lines by a male character and they don't come until like the last. What? I mean, there's like two at the beginning and three at the very end of the film. So it it's and that film conveys very similar uh, shackles and restrictions faced by women of that time without even having a man on camera. So yeah. Um, I think there's just a little bit more. The difference is, there's just it feels like there's a little bit more consideration and intellect put into portrait than there is in mm. in this film. This film takes takes the easy road more times than portrait does, or the well, the, the more obvious road would be more. Yeah, well, e- even as it leads into the relationship building, it it it's just so many of those like oh, maybe we should share the bed tonight. Oh, let me read your diary. Like, a lot of those beats. Oh, I'm jealous because you're hanging out yeah, with the, the women over the in front of me. the rain's coming down. And... It, yeah, it's just like those beats, uh, they're not very subtle and they don't feel wholly original. And again, that's why it's almost unfair to compare it to Portrait because Portrait is so brilliant. Mm. Like, I don't think I've ever seen a film that... And I've got other films that I think are, like, you know, excellent or perfect, but it's like Portrait is just one of the best. That is masterclass direction. But it's, but it's lack of a root like that that those things, those those types of scenes have existed in, in Hollywood romance films mm. for ages, you know. Um the 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 problem is these two they don't feel they don't have the same chemistry that and this actually might come back to their performances. I don't think these two have very good on the screen chemistry mm, together. A lot of people agree with you on that um, one. I what think um, that doesn't mean neither of them are both are brilliant actors, but mm. sometimes combinations just don't work. And I just think these two just don't bounce off each other very naturally. Um, particularly when we get to that tension release moment and they start, you know, making love to each other it feels kind of contrived and forced and it mm. kind of doesn't feel like they've earned it because in good romance films where there's a tension build, you know, whether you talk about Portrait or, you know, in the 80s we talked about when Harry met Sally, you know, it's yeah. by the time they get to their tension release point, you want them to be together. Yeah. Even though society of the film, the world that the film is constructed in, doesn't want them to be together. It's saying they shouldn't be together. Yeah, you're following their struggles and you, you, you empathise with yeah, them. Yeah, you as the viewer with your subjective discourse want them to be together because you know the way they look at each other, the way they act towards each other, the body language, the visual language that's being conveyed to you mm. makes makes you want them to be together on a subconscious level, which then you know moves to the forefront of your mind. Yeah, I guess I wasn't thinking about that when I watched this film, that... You're right. Like, when you watch When Harry Met Sally and even Portrait, there was that sort of thing where you're just so rooting for them to get together. And in this film, I was sort of indifferent to it. Yeah. Because first You knew off, it was coming. When, yeah, exactly. You know it's coming, so you're not really... You know, when you watch When Harry Met Sally, I watched it pretty blind. Yeah. I had no idea how that film plays out. I didn't. No. So, 
it was more investment from the fact that I didn't know. While this film, it markets itself as, oh, you know, it's Kate Winslet and Saoirse Ronan, they're going to get together and this thing. So you sort of don't think about it. You're sort mm-hmm. of indifferent to it, which I think is... I Again, I think Portrait was marketed. They didn't really... I guess it's the same thing in terms of marketing, but I'm pretty sure in the trailer you see these two making out in the trailer. So yeah, it, okay. it it's not really a surprise. And again, in terms of do I want to see them together, it's like I was pretty indifferent because I was more fascinated by the individual characters. I was fascinated by the way Mary is sort of reserved and, and mm. hardened and I guess we see why with maybe with her siblings, I guess, in the past. Yeah, or, I, I her think... work, yeah. It comes back to the subtle, the subtlety that Portrait has in terms of trying to convey this attraction that these two can't resist each other without e- without even saying anything. And this mm. film just doesn't convey the same. Uh, it doesn't convey that gaze, the gaze that we talked mm. about. You know, it it goes through the same uh, kind of those things that feel kind of. Um, generic and and done before stuff like with the rain and the, them sharing the same bed and it's like it's very obvious where the destination is. Whereas mm. I think yeah, having that degree of although we want them together together, we actually don't fully believe they will ever get together. And I think that's the difference in things like when Harry met Sally in Portrait. I think it's not inevitable that they get together right. it's something we want to happen because we see the way they look at each other and they and the the thing that that film achieves is it's the fascination of gaze from an artistic point of view mm. and then from an affection attraction point of view because at first she's just looking at her subject subject yeah not a lover and that's the difference whereas in this and then film, we as the audience go through that same journey because we're gazing and staring as well yeah like it's just genius filmmaking and this film is not nearly as subtle and again it's unfair to compare but no, i don't think real? it is i mean the yeah. two films that have been made in the last year i mean it's probably the most apparent comparison and they're yeah. probably made on very similar budgets i'd assume yeah um, that's a good point like comparing them is is exactly what we should be doing and um, I liked, I would have liked to have seen more of, um, I like this, this also, this film does have a couple of problems with, uh, we believe that, uh, like Saoirse Ronan's character is suffering a form of, as described in the film, a melancholy, a depression yeah, because of obviously what feels to be her post, uh, you know, PTSD from losing a child, um, because obviously there's a line earlier with uh, her husband saying it's too early to try again for kids. So it's very much implied that they tried to have a kid, didn't work out. And they come back to it a couple of times with her being fascinated with kids. But it never goes anywhere. We never get a conclusion to that Mm. aspiration. Like, she leaves, when she leaves Winslet, they, and then when Winslet comes to visit her in London there's never a payoff to that. It's just this, she aspires to have kids someday is basically the only thing we get from that. And maybe the, the love and affection that Winslet's giving her is enough for her right now. But I feel like that, that required a payoff and we never got it. Okay. I'm glad you brought this up. Cause I don't know if this is the correct answer, but I, this is what I sort of took away from that. 
uh, specifically not really getting much closure on her wanting a baby. So, my the the big clue for me was when uh, she gets the letter. Like she's having a great time with with uh, Mary, and I think that at this point they've already like started sleeping together or have got together. And then she gets the letter that says her husband's coming back home. Yeah. And she immediately just snaps back into this depression. And for me, it, it was a reminder of, okay, this was her escape. She's escaping and finding this romance over here. She's getting away from the realities of her husband, the realities of her dead child. Uh, and the letter snaps her back into it. Yeah, right. And we kind of see it again when, when Mary comes uh, moves comes over to London and, and meets with her. And she very excitedly runs over and kisses her. And that was actually kind of a funny moment when, when the maid's like, oh, it's just the maid. And Maisie's like, oh, what the-? <laughs> that was kind of a funny moment, I won't lie. But what I took away from that whole thing was she, instead of dealing with the, and again, she's a younger character, it's fair to assume that she's probably not as matured or as hardened as, as well, Mary Well, in her early 20s. Exactly. So when she finds this escape and latches to it, that becomes the solution for her. Hmm. So at the end, when she's like, oh, I've made you a room and, and you could stay here and she takes the rejection really hard. Yeah, sort of like a drug possession situation. Well, when's, it, it's, when's it's the drug, the escapism. Yeah, well, it, it just, it feels like she's sort of shifted her motivations because that's where she doesn't feel pain anymore. It's where she's not depressed anymore. Yeah. So I feel like the, the child angle comes clearly from the juxtaposition with Mary's mum. That, I think that's where that starts and ends. Okay. Is just showing that juxtaposition. That's why I assume sh- uh, that Charlotte or Sasharuna's character was doing that. Was it's just an escape from the reality. Mm-hmm. So that's sort of what I took from that. And then Mary, on the flip side, I imagine doesn't want to be a part of that. And this is something I said to you guys when we walked out. It plays into the portrait comparison, where this film is more about lust than love, while Portrait's the other way around. That's fair. So, I, I, that's what I took from that storyline. it's pretty good rationale, mate. I don't know if it's correct, though. You know what I mean? No, but it was your point of view. Oh, there you go. <laughs> Do you have anything else you'd like to add? Um, yeah, let's take a look. I mean, just little things we talked about or noticed. Like, again, she was in black mourning her child. And then by the time she's in the calmed beaches and she's wearing white and just stuff like that. So, okay, okay. I see what he's doing. Mm. Um... Let's talk a bit about the symbolism, or I guess the metaphor of the rocks and the creatures, because there's many a rocks and creatures in yeah. this film. It sounded like Ammonite. he had Ammonite, exactly. I was a little confused, but it sounded like you had an idea for what that was meant for to be. For what it was for? Yeah. I well, believe it was just the, the, the payoff that, obviously, with the first scene, we get... Uh, uh, this uh, footage of these men bringing in this, I think it's called an ichthyosaurus or something. Okay. One of those, uh, which is like a a seabird dinosaur from one of those, you know, paleon... Ah. Yeah. Um, But of course, because she discovered, as we find out, Winslet's character discovered that when she was 11 or 12, like she was very young. Yep. um, There's like a little tag on it that's got like kind of more like cute Jurassic seabird on it like it was named something that wasn't scientific it was Mm. named like a 12 year old would name it and of course this tag and it has her name on it and the man scoffs and then takes the tag off puts his name there yeah um which becomes a a consistent symbol um throughout the film of 
um, obviously, and really good visual representation that all of her achievements have always gone under the guise that a man has yeah. been there to oversee them. And one of the few things that is based in real life yeah. is her work went unrecognized for decades. Yeah, so, like centuries. discovering what the person, basically, the men would discover the person that discovered the stuff, and yeah. that would be the recognition and given beans and you own the land and really the the i think this actually does tie into the previous conversation about her possessive nature Saoirse Ronan's okay. possessive nature because obviously when uh, winslet comes to london at the end of the film to see her friend and then for, well see her her lover and mm. her lover's trying to keep her there and become very possessive and Winslet says the line at the end of that scene, you don't know me, you don't understand me, and then leaves, and that leads into the final sequence. But at the start of that scene, she comes in and she looks at the glass case where her her, hus- her Cerserina's husband has collected a bunch of fossils from different periods of time, and mm. there's, an Am- there's the Ammonite rock that he bought at the start of the film, and he's put his name on on top of it but Saoirse Ronan has actually put Mary Anning's name on top of it and I think what this is is actually a bit of little clever uh, nuance here because what she's trying to represent there is Saoirse Ronan to an extent does actually understand Anning and and might go against potentially what you were saying which was lust over love but might uh, challenge that ideology that there might be love there. We just don't know it, obviously, yet, because obviously it's immediately followed up with her being incredibly possessive and lustful. Yep. Um, so, which is sort of the uh, bipolar um, attitudes of a young adult, really, um, being very hot-cold with yeah. what they want. Um, and that's I think that's the payoff to the Ammonite, because this is the first person to acknowledge her work and she's gone mm. through her like Winslet's implied I'd say she's in her late 30s early 40s um, has implied that she's just kind of accepted that she'll never get recognised for this right. stuff she'll just do it because she likes doing it and she's not in it to be recognised and I think this leads into obviously um, if you look at Ronan's costume in that scene she's now wearing black and white so she's yeah, in the last it. scene yeah um and leads into Winslet going into the uh, into the museum, going past the wall full with just men and doing a really clever little portrait camera trick where... Yeah, that was a nice shot. Um, yeah. And then her looking at this, this ichthyosaurus and then both being on different sides of the glass frame, kind of looking at each other. And that was... Yeah. I, I, that I think sequence. that's pretty spot on. It even recontextualizes... Um the Roderick character because I was saying earlier, like he's sort of on his knees worshipping to this person that he idolizes, but he's still willing to completely rip her off. Yeah. And take her work. So I you know what, I actually kinda like that a lot. Yeah. I think you're spot on. Cool. Well I think the only other thing I want to talk about, I guess before we wrap up, is Francis Lee himself, the director. Mm-hmm. Um so the only other feature he's done is God's Own Country, which I've heard good things about it's pretty good. Probably helped him have you oh, seen that's it? a um that's another LGBTQ film. Yeah, I sure? think I think that's it's sort of Irish his. One. Yeah, I think that's his shtick, and he's done a few other shorts as well. But he's actually come out talking about this film, not in defense or anything. This might have been like when they were shooting or whatever. But he's he's come out and and said things like, you know what, you know, this is 
what I'm trying to do. You know, I'm trying to normalize these LGBT relationships, um, which is it's interesting because it's like that. If 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 you're looking for them, there's a lot of these kinds of films out there. Mm. Um, do you think this will, you know, regardless what you think of the film's a good film or a bad film, what if people watch it, do you think this helps normalize LGBT plus relationships? I don't think it's an astronomical move forward, but I guess it's an incremental move forward. Yeah, fair enough. Um, there are other films that are, you know, vastly more thought-provoking and actually help normalize mm. it more um you know in this year alone we could attribute not only episode film of the week episodes but things like moonlight and stuff yep. like that where these films that help normalize it because they take it from a more contemporary place i think uh, unfortunately i just think period lgbtq films mm. it's not going to have as much of an impact as something that's contemporary simply because, you know... We sort of pass it off as that's the past. And, it's, well, well it's it, it was hard of, then, but that means it's not hard now, that kind of false yeah. thinking. Whereas if you do things like Moonlight, which is pretty much set in the present, mm. and you take it from a point of view where you take this character that becomes an incredibly masculine figure, yeah, but is still, you know, homosexual... Like, and it's totally like normalized, and it's fine. Mm. Then... It recontextualizes that appearance. Absolutely, what we make of that. exactly. Because yeah. then it's what it is: is it's normalizing a group that we would often stereotype as being far from the LGBTQ community, and mm. that's that's more effective in normalizing it. But I think every one of these films is always an incremental, at least an incremental. Oh my goodness, <laughs> your walls falling down. Um, is at least an incremental. Uh, step forward yep. for it whether it's a small step or it's a, a larger leap but this film unfortunately will probably go down as something that we forget about yeah I, it's I'm not curious. going to resonate like it's definitely not going to be something when we look back on Winslet's career and definitely probably on Ronan's career and be like it's oh, not a high point no for, for either, either of them. them yeah yeah, that's fair enough it actually kind of this might feel like a weird sort of segue but this does remind me i was playing the new um spider-man miles morales video game and there's a moment where you're sort of walking through this uh there's like a group of people talking you can like chat with people and there was one moment where you go up to this girl and she's like oh i'm here with my girlfriend and they're both there and i was like oh that's like a nice little like very subtle wink mm-hmm. i'm like hey we're progressing and of course you're playing as a black protagonist and it's it's very in the culture and representative so I think I think media across the board is doing a good job with that kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah, each, each each is always a step forward in these mm. situations. I mean, if they're supporting that sort of ideology, then they are moving forward. But yeah, some are obviously going to be more effective and more than others. And unfortunately, yeah, I think this film, although far from bad, is just not a film that we'll be coming back to probably in in the recent future as a mm. cornerstone for both forwarding that LGBTQ idea, yeah, that, that part. Um, and just from a, a cinematic point of view, I think. Yeah, it's in terms of director, actresses, yeah. and the, like their careers. No, I get you. No worries. I think that's fair enough. Would you like to move into highlight scenes? I would. I This was actually very easy for me. I had a very easy highlight scene. This is right at the beginning of the film. So it's the first time we meet Mary Anning proper yeah. when she's at the beach, and it's the first time we see her actually 
going through the rocks and actually finding the ammonite that she has to sort of pull out of the rock. Mm. And uh, I don't know, there's something about this scene that was a little chaotic with the waves and the sound and her sort of dangerously climbing up these rocks and slipping and uh, it says everything you need to know about her without any dialogue. I, I just thought it was a really great scene. Yeah. Yeah. Easy I, for me. I personally really like the... I do like the museum sequence at the end of the film. Oh, yeah. I really like those shots. They're very clever visual storytelling. I actually really like their farewell when they say bye to each other. Like um, the very... The last shot. No. Fairway? no oh, you mean when, when she when, leaves the island. When she leaves the island, yeah. I really like... It's a kind of a long, drawn-out carriage shot. And it's probably one of the few times we really get to see Ronan really flex some of those acting muscles. But... Unfortunately, I think that scene gets tainted from the fact that it's just not as uh, as a believable. Uh, Doesn't feel earned. No, that's fair enough. I'm I'm probably not as strongly about the whether it was earned or not as you are, but my indifference is also not a great thing for this film. So, no worries. Yeah, that's Ammonite. Well, Ammonite is currently playing at the British Film Festival for at least until the end of November. Um, I think yeah, just, uh, I think uh, someone I know is looking to go on a Wednesday screening. So I guess if you listen to this before Wednesday, um, I don't know. Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, it was, you can we spoiled check the crap out, out of I'm it sure, for you. I'm sure <laughs> there'll be other films that you can, uh, other opportunities to catch this film. Those trailers were all really interesting before the film. Yeah, what was the one that looked really good? Supernova. Um, Supernova. That was it. Yeah, looked quite um, good. I would like to go see that. That's Colin Firth, Stanley Tucci film. Yeah. Um, another Firth another doesn't... LGBTQ film. So Is it? Oh, I guess... I thought it was just like a strong implied friendship. Because the, the character's getting dementia or he's, he's starting to lose no, his memory. in the same bed and stuff. No, they're, they're partners. Okay, okay, fair yeah, enough. I'm pretty sure. I wasn't watching the trailers properly. <laughs> didn't, didn't care too much for the Jude Law Nest... The Nest... I think it was that Jude Law film, the one that followed up after. Oh, yeah. But Zeke, the quotes all said it was his best work. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm Would not. Be not a, I personally, mean I right personally now. am not a big Jude Law fan, so. Oh, really? But, yeah, not huge. I thought you liked Jude Law. I think it looks fine. I just can't think of something off the top of my head I really like him in. Oh, fair enough. So, Captain Marvel. And then you saw that new Ron Howard film. No, I haven't seen it oh, yet. I haven't seen it yet. But Although, heard. that does come out to Netflix. This week, Zeke, coming you to streaming and cinema. <laughs> that was a really good segue. Thank you. Uh, it literally is the first one on my list. Hillbilly Elegy is the latest Ron Howard Oscar contender and is streaming from tomorrow on Netflix. So, Zeke, we can both watch that this week. Yeah. I've uh, heard it's gotten rough reviews. Yeah, it's kind of in the same Ammonite. This is going to be an interesting Oscars debate because even like Mank, I wasn't like. I couldn't really. I guess Gary Oldman will get nominated. Like, you know, is this that kind of. It's going to be an interesting race. It's the worst year. when you're like, I guess they'll get they'll get a pity nod. Well, it's there's no film, there's no Parasite or 1917 that's like that's a clear winner. Last year was just like ridiculously, like great, great year. Yeah, we're 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 we'll be on the campaign to put baby teeth to the Oscars. Oh, please take it to the Oscars. See, that's the only reason I say it's not obvious because films like Baby Teeth just won't get nominated, and it makes me sad. They'll get nominated for foreign film though. No, because it, it can't be it can't be a uh, fully English dialogue. It to, to be contender for the foreign. Uh, that's crazy. The, yeah, well that that's that's the thing. actually that's. But what about New Zealand? Okay, <laughs> it's a bit weird. Anyway, also coming to Netflix this week, and this is a big uh, read, Zeke, so get comfortable. 
Uh, so Sean Mendes in Wonder, much like Miss Americana earlier this year, it chronicles the past few years of Sean Mendes' rise and journey as a singer-songwriter. I'm guessing my sister will absolutely be watching that. Uh, and How I Met Your Mother, seasons 1 through 9, are now streaming from this Wednesday. I thought you would like that one, Zeke. Hmm, so, seems intriguing. Yeah. Coming to stand this week, we have The Nice Guys and at least two of the Johnny English films. I think the first two, so there you go. I didn't even mind the third one, to be honest. On Disney Plus this week, you have Black Beauty, which sees a wild horse and a teenage girl forge an unbreakable bond that connects them for a lifetime. Uh, in terms of classics, if you want to go see something at Hoyt's that perhaps came out a long time ago, you have a few options. Brian De Palma's Carrie is coming, which feels oddly late. Mm. That should have been a month ago, but... Yeah. Oh, well. Uh, and if you're in the Arnold Schwarzenegger camp, which we mentioned him earlier, films such as Predator and the 30th anniversary of Total Recall are also playing this week at Hoyt's. So that's very exciting. Now, Z, coming to you to cinemas, we have David Bryan's American Utopia, which sees a singer and a group of international musicians perform songs from the hit Broadway musical and is directed by Spike Lee. Intriguing. So, so that's very exciting. That comes to Luna this week. Let Him Go follows Kevin Costner, who plays a retired sheriff, and his wife leaving for their Montana ranch to rescue their young grandson from the clutches of a dangerous family. This comes off of them losing their own son. Do you give it a yay or an a, Zeke? It's funny because Kevin Costa's got that a uh, that Yellowstone show that's actually been given really good reviews. Okay, um, I'm trying to remember who who's written that. Oh, the same guys who wrote Hell of High Water and Sicario. I'm pretty sure wow. Okay. That. Yeah, I think interesting. It's Sheridan, yeah, yeah, Taylor Sheridan might be yeah. writing that. Something to do with them uh, or their producers or maybe he's a producer. Yeah, maybe, but um. Yeah, that, that show's had about three or four seasons, and that's about them owning a ranch and stuff like that. So it's kind of funny. I'm like, uh, maybe Kevin Costa's just a ranch owner now, <laughs> yeah, I guess. It's, maybe it's the spin-off to that show. Who knows? <laughs> uh, Love Opera is a Screen Australia-funded documentary that follows opera diva Lisa... Uh, sorry, my documentary's all weird. Lisa Gastine as she finds a way for a tiny opera school to triumph against all odds. Uh, yeah or now on that one, Zeke? Mm, doesn't stick to me, unfortunately. That's fair enough. Maybe it's not high on the list for me, so if I get around to it, I'll let you know. Maybe it's on Doc Play a week from now. Who knows? Uh, where am I? All right. Misbehavior is based on a true story and follows a group of women, part of the women's liberation movement, as they plan to disrupt the 1970s Miss World Beauty competition in London. And Zeke, we saw the trailer for this one too. Is that a yay or a nay? Um, <laughs> a tentative yay. I would probably oh, say. Oh, okay. Um, Fair I'm curious. I'm curious for it. Now, I, I'm unfortunately, I thought I'm a big trailer speaks to the movie kind of person. I'm I'm very no, much that's a. Fair enough. I look at trailers like, okay, it's a sales pitch. A trailer is a sales pitch, and because um, you're trying to convince me that I want to go see your film. So yeah. if I know I'm going to see a film like Mank, I don't even bother watching the trailer because right. I'm like, Just I've already sold. Clean, yeah, sold. I knew I was going to see Ammonite, so when I do the trailers for the show, it's like I just get the find a bit in the trailer I like, and I just use that, but I don't watch the trailer. Yeah. Um, it's just the audio as well, usually. It's just the audio. Um, so, uh, yeah, like, I, this one I watched it, and I thought, I watched we watched the Supernova trailer, I really liked that trailer, I thought it was like, I would go see that film, because yeah. I really like how it built and revealed things. And I just thought the misbehavior one, and I just felt like it was very much a, um, 
What's that one that came out last? Not Battle of the Sexes, the one with um, uh, dad, uh, on the basis of sex. Okay, I still haven't seen that one. Um, with Army Hammer and um, is her name da- Daisy? I'm trying to remember her name now. Daisy Ridley. Re- <laughs> trying to remember what her name is. Um, I, I'm not. I but um, yeah, I just things that feel like with overt on the nose. Um, cinema of the other and 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 all any sort of film that has on the nose sort of text and themes on it it's like you said like we were talking about with ammonite now i haven't seen that trailer but if in the trailer they reveal winslet and saoirse ronan kissing i'm like mm. what a waste i feel like they might yeah i'm not 100 percent sure like, on that one don't put that in the trailer Listen it's kind of like i haven't seen hidden figures which actually comes to disney plus this week too i didn't mention but i've heard that's really good though okay so cool. I might get that's very... on Disney Plus this week as well. All right. Well, we'll give it that a tentative yay, as you say. Yeah. Um. Let's see. And finally, I'll see it for Jesse Buckley. Yes. And I'll give it a go for Kira Knightley, perhaps. Mm. There you go. Good cast. Uh. Finally, The Prom is the latest Netflix film, which comes to Lunar and Backlot Perth early. So if you want to catch that one before, I, I don't know if this is an Oscar tender contender or not. Well, we shall see. Uh, it follows, uh, well, let's see. Oh, to support a high school girl who wants to bring her girlfriend to the prom, a group of self-assessed theater stars go to a small conservative Indiana town. Um, it didn't actually, that, that little logline doesn't show the correlation. It has plot A, girl wants her girlfriend to go to the prom. Plot B, people go to Indiana. That's a Ryan Murphy film. Oh, what is he not doing these days? Dude does a lot of films, eh? Keeps him busy. A lot of shows and all that jazz. Didn't he just do... What are we talking about? Yeah, Normal Heart with him. He did Normal Heart. Did Hollywood. Pretty sure. Isn't he involved in the... Oh, but then he also did um the Nurse Ratchet series. Didn't he? Or it, that just looks like Ryan Murphy. I don't know anymore. It's like, I don't know anymore. This, this... I'm done. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm over all of this. There's too much to talk yeah, about. There's yeah. too much oh, to cry about. Oh, he did that about. new one there, yeah, that Boys in the Band that came out on Netflix earlier this year too. Is he um, just like producing all of these, or is no? He, like... he directs them. Oh my god! Oh no, he produces. Wait, well, hang on. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Here we go. Here we go. Uh, okay, so <laughs> he directed Normal Heart, Hollywood, Running with Scissors, Eat, Pray, Love, and Prom. I didn't know. He... Okay, that makes sense. Okay. There you go. So he mostly predominantly does uh, LGBTQ films. Right. E Pray Love was actually the only one that wasn't, and that was his first one. Yeah, so. had to play it straight when you I start. I guess so, maybe. <laughs> no worries. Oh, well, goodness, uh, we're not watching any of those next week on the show. <laughs> no, we're not. Um, we're, we're actually not, we're... deviating, I think, a little bit, a little bit, just a teeny tiny bit. But Jake, what are we watching next week on the show? We're watching The Farewell. What's wrong, Dad? Please tell me. My nan is dying. She doesn't know. So you can't say anything. The family thinks it's better not to tell her. Why is that better? Chinese people have saying, when people get cancer, they die. Billy's family returns to China under the guise of a fake wedding to stealthily say goodbye to their beloved matriarch, the only person that doesn't know she only has a few weeks to live. That's Zig. That sounds really deep and dark and depressing. I don't want to watch that. So obviously, we've had Portrait has featured quite heavily on this this discussion for this episode. Right. Obviously, had its own episode. This is one of the strong films of the last year that honestly we both generally considered was one of the biggest snubs at the Oscars. Yeah, I don't think it got nominated for anything. I know Aquafina won a Golden Globe, which was awesome. Mm-hmm. 
But you're right. This is a film we both really adore. Yeah. And so, we just never really talked about on the show. Obviously, this will be great to have a platform to talk about this uh, this film on the show next week because, yeah, um, obviously this wasn't... Uh, we've done your favourite film from 2019 that we had, like, a 2019 mm. release. Pain and Glory would probably still be mine, but this yep. would probably be a strong second. I wow. Think this, I think I prefer this to Parasite, so... Get ready. That's some strong thoughts. I like it. It is. Yeah. <laughs> I really loved this film. Um, and I can't wait to talk about it next week on the show because, yeah, it was probably, if you look at the listings and stuff, and I know you watched pretty much nearly everything from the last Oscar season. I watched a lot. Um, <laughs> I think I watched... This was the one that definitely came out to be, I think, the biggest snub for me. Yeah. I think you could put it in the same categories like Uncut Gems and... Probably The Lighthouse, although The Lighthouse got nominated for Best Cinematography. Okay. So maybe that doesn't count. I'm just checking my list quickly, because I do have a rank of 2019 films. Um, oh, wow. See, you're not going to like this at all. Maybe, maybe it will change. I have it ranked at number 21. Wow. Yeah. that That's a little surprising even to me. But uh, we'll, maybe we'll see why when we re-watch it this week, Zeke. Who knows? Yeah. But until then, thank you for joining us for the Cinema Sideshow Podcast. I was Zeke. I was Jake. And we'll catch you next week with The Farewell. Farewell.